open wide and get ready to chow down because the movie men are cooking up an audible feast. I'm your host Callum O'Toole, sadly more Michelin man with a couple of spare tyres than Michelin starred. And I'm joined by a man who's no stranger to a sausage fest. It's Johnny Smith from the latest Picture Show blog. Welcome as ever Johnny, how's everything in your world? Pretty dandy, pretty dandy. Yeah, you've got, you've got some pie related news. Yeah, a man came and saw me today and took pictures of me with pies. Not in a blackmailing sort of sexual way, but because uh, he was interested in the pie pundits. So, yeah, he, he sounds like quite a, like a deviant. So Obviously, if I get some uh, pictures in a brown envelope next week, I'll, I'll know the true meaning of it all. It's quite an unusual way to spend your Saturday, but um, I'm not judging. I'm not here to judge. But, you know, it's topical because it's food, it's pies. Did you feel bad after cooking the pies now you've seen Sausage Party? Yeah, horrified. It's a bit like uh, Meat is Murder, you know. Well, very, very, very Morrissey-esque, which is obviously what you were yeah, at last exactly. week as well. There you go. Bring full circle. All coming in together. If there's anyone still listening from last week, which they're probably not. <laughs> uh, so, Johnny. Uh, in a delicious twist of irony, it was revealed this week that The Wolf of Wall Street may have been part financed by a money laundering outfit, and Leonardo DiCaprio is being urged to pay back a load of the money as a result. So... What actor's life would you most like to see start imitating his or her art in that kind of vein, like happened to Leo? I mean, when I was first thinking about this, I thought it'd be interesting to see Woody Allen in the real world, you know, his life becoming slowly very complicated and his relationship falling apart and become paranoid and neurotic. And then I realised that is happens. Woody Allen's life, so I <laughs> yeah. abandoned that idea quite quickly. I thought you were also going to go with ants then. Be like, Woody Allen turns into an ant. He's done that. He's had a, uh, you know, a neurotic ant. Yeah. So, went off Woody Allen, and I thought it'd be good if Hugh Jackman, you know, in uh, Les Mis, as John Valjean, had to actually sing his way through the rest of his life, oh, just as he fantastic. did with Les Mis. So, you know, I think the day-to-day shopping and things like that would be hard work. You know, a lot of vocal strain in there. But I think him having to do another Wolverine film would be excellent, because he'd have to sing all his lines. Well, I thought, I initially went, you know, de- talking of blades in hands, or blades for hands, I initially went down the Johnny Depp route and thought, you know what, Johnny Depp has Edward Scissorhands, he could knock me up a bitchin' hedge in any shape I wanted it to be, but then I thought, you know what, given recent events, maybe giving Johnny Depp scissors, enormous scissors for hands probably isn't, isn't probably the best idea, given no. his penchant for... He wouldn't be able to throw things around the room, though. No, he wouldn't be able to, but, you know, it could end up a lot worse, and a lot bloodier. So I thought, well, who deserves to have themselves experience something that happens in a film no, Mel Gibson Braveheart hung drawn and quartered there you go easy <laughs> yeah exactly I, we, I do feel like sometimes we get a bit cliche with these things but sometimes it needs to happen I think Mel Gibson's a man fully deserving of a hang drawing and quartering he'd, he'd take it well I think yeah or Mad Max just getting chased around the desert basically making Mel Gibson suffer oh yes I'm the first to enter eternity oh, potato where the garbage the pipes, the pipes are caught. Oh, Jesus, fuck! Oh, gummy skin! She's peeling me what? fucking stuff! Fuck! Tonight's film is, if we haven't set it up enough already, Sausage Party. So this is obviously the uh, comedy film starring Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, James Franco, Michael Cera, etc. And if I tell you that, you might have one thing in your mind, but it's actually an animated film. An animated comedy starring these guys. So they play food in a supermarket who want nothing more than to be taken home from the supermarket by humans who they regard as gods. But when they get home, the reality proves rather different to what they were expecting. 
and they end up having to mount a rebellion against the so-called gods who take them home. So Johnny, Seth Rogen and co can just literally do whatever they want now, can't they? I think that's the case. I think if you've got as many friends as Seth Rogen, who yeah. all happen to be in Hollywood and all act and direct, etc., you can basically just club together and probably intimidate a studio into making you a film for whatever you like. I think that's an actual profession nowadays. If you're putting down, what's your job? Seth Rogen's mate? Got... Varying degrees. I mean, some of them do their own stuff. Like... Some of them, and some of them are good. Jonah Hill, Michael Cera, who both appear in this film as well. Actually, they're all pretty decent, to be fair. And uh, there's a bit of Edward Norton in, thrown into the mix. as a, Just for a bit of credibility. Yeah, as a Woody Allen-esque neurotic bagel, for a bit of credibility. But, okay, so this film... Talking about credibility then. It's a film, an animated film about food, starring these guys, full of swearing, but is it any good? It is good. It is, you know, when you sort of see the trailer or hear the concept, it sounds like a totally ludicrous premise. Yeah. But actually, it's like Toy Story, but with more swearing and a message about religion. And, and shoehorning in every pun under the sun that they can possibly do. Yeah, some real good food puns in there. Yeah, it's a, you know, spilling the beans, yeah. Spill the beans, can't think of any other food plays now. <laughs> that creative meeting must have been amazing. I think it just must be such a great life being those guys now. They're just going, should we make a film about food getting eaten by people and how much how terrible that is and genocidal? I think, you know, the animation's very slick, very sort of Pixar-y. Mm. And I think that's the thing. They want to, you know, make that sort of sanitised, nice Disney Pixar look, but then turn it completely on its head by having all these sort of deeper issues and, and lots of swearing and sort of make it a bit grotesque. And I've, me- I've mentioned as well that the humans are regarded as gods by them. So it's, I think the well, obviously the film's trying to set itself up as like a satire on religion, but really I kind of get got the feeling watching it that this is actually like a teen sex romp in the American pie vein, masquerading as like your dogma-style satirical religious film rather than the other way around. Yeah, sort of. I think I think with Seth Rogen's other films, you know, Pineapple Express and stuff, the sort of stoner, swearing sort of basis of them can run a bit thin. But when you throw it in with the sort of religious... <laughs> there's all that in here. There's all that I mean, in there is all that. But when you throw it in with a religious sort of satire, it actually works quite well and sort of balances each other out. Yeah. You know, there's some real sort of proper story in there and then, you know, all the usual Seth Rogen sort of... Humor. Yeah, and the, the kind of ultimate aim of the main characters here, Frank, which is a sausage played by Seth Rogen, and uh, his ultimate aim is to, to merge, as it were, with the bun, Barbara Bun. Yep. Um, so the whole premise of the film, I guess, that is eventually, you know, the whole them two getting together and having the sex. And really, Johnny, this film brings a whole new meaning at one stage to the term food porn, doesn't it? I mean... You can't really think how sexual you can make a flatbread, a bagel, a hot dog and a bun, but it gets pretty raunchy in there. Yeah. Pretty pretty disgusting. I mean, yeah. there's probably people shying their eyes away. Yeah, but if you thought M&S adverts was food porn, this is, this is going to take it to a whole new level for you. So yeah. there's that to bear in mind. I mean, they've really gone balls out quite literally. Yeah, on the on the food sex and balls out on the offending every religion and race under the sun as well. Yeah, I think they take no prisoners. You know, there's this sort of... Arab character who's looking for the virgin, the extra virgin oil when he goes to heaven. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Jewish bagel who's like Woody Allen. And their relationship between the two of them, which, you know, takes a drastic turn at one stage. Very drastic. Yeah. And then you've got the sauerkraut, which is uh, a bunch of Nazis who are trying to kill the juice. Yeah. So they, it's they, all in there. They, they lay it on pretty thick. There's, there's, no, there's not a great deal of subtlety, is there? There's no... They don't leave a great yeah. deal to the imagination. I think 
when you sort of go for that, it's all right if you disguise it under a cartoon of food because people can't take it too seriously. Yeah. Let's give this film a rating out of 10 then, Johnny. I'd give it a good solid 8. Good, good sturdy eight. 8. I think I think the same. I think I'd give it an 8 out of 10. You know, if you like Seth Rogen films, you're going to like this. If you like animation and are over the age of about 14, you're probably going to like this as well. Oh, that was a 15, wasn't it? So, you know, don't watch it at home, kids. If you're 14, then... <coughs> You'll love it, actually, if you're You'll actually bloody love it, so sneak your way into the cinema. So, sort of 8 out of 10, even with the over-the-top sexual antics of the food. 8 out of 10, but I'll probably never have another hot dog. Once you see that shit... It'll fuck you up for life. Good luck. Have fun. <laughs> It is challenge time, and this week I'm giving Johnny the challenge. In honour of Seth Rogen, who was obviously the star of Sausage Pie, uh, I'm going to give you a little challenge here called Rogan or Reagan. Interesting. I like where this is going. Yes. So you're going to have to tell me if what I say is Seth Rogen or if it's former President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. This is going to be trickier than I thought. So I've got five bits of trivia for you. And I've got five movies. The five bits of trivia, I'll give you, you know, you can just answer them normal, but the five movies, it, we, we're doing it quick fire. And you've got, you got very little time so to answer. I've just got to say... Reagan or Rogan? Okay. Reagan or Rogan. So, I'm getting my tongue tied. Right, so the first one. Uh, this individual wears or wore a hearing aid for much of their life. Is it Reagan or Rogan? Reagan. It is Reagan. Well done. Have a sip on that Budweiser you've got in your hand, Johnny. Well done. Good job. Uh, yeah, Ronald Reagan used to wear a hearing aid for much of his life. Question number two. This individual used to work as a lifeguard. Reagan or Rogan? Rogan. That is Reagan. Oh. Ronald Reagan used to work as a lifeguard and wear a hearing aid. The warder must have played havoc with that. I mean, probably electrocuted everyone. Yeah. Back in the day, I don't think they had the, the sort of like little subtle ones that they've got no, now. It was like one of those old phones you had to carry a power pack around. <laughs> Yeah, like a defibrillator that he had to carry around with him. Jump in the pool, everyone's zapped, dead. Question number three. This individual is or was a gay icon and the subject of an art book depicting him in various sexual poses. We're taking a turn now. I I mean, it's We've gone from clean, we've gone sausage party now, we've gone from the clean start, now we've taken a turn. I'm going to go with Rogan because he's probably the least likely to be. It is Seth Rogan. Seth Rogen is a gay icon, apparently. The world is a strange place. Seth Rogen. You're doing, doing well at the moment. Two out of three. Question number four. This individual has or had an obsession with earlobes. Ronald Reagan or Seth Rogen? I'm going to go with Rogen. That's Ronald Reagan. <sighs> According to his son. He used to love the earlobes. Maybe it's because he had the I hearing I was going to say the hearing aid probably fits into that. Used to put it in a lot. That must have given him all kinds of tingles. <laughs> Stick in the odd ear. Maybe he didn't actually need the hearing aid. He just really liked yeah. touching his earlobes. But then he couldn't put it in, so someone else had to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two from two out of four. So right now you're bang on the movie, man. Fifty percent mark. This is the this crunch. is the this is the killer. Right. Okay. I think you might get this one actually. Which of these two individuals said Paul McCartney was in the room with us? There was a point where he was three feet away from me, and all I kept thinking was, if I run up and kick him in the crotch right now, I'll be the most famous man alive got to be Rogan. It's Rogan. Because Reagan was probably already the most famous man alive. I mean, if Reagan went and kicked Paul McCartney in the bollocks, that would be particularly weird. Yeah, that would be an unusual... What a, what a, what a thing But to then he was going a bit loopy towards the end. What a visual Reagan, bonanza so. that is. Ronald Reagan sticking the boot in to Paul McCartney. 
I mean, to be fair, kicking Paul McCartney in the genitals, I don't think anyone would stop you. Nowadays, no. Okay, you did well. Three out of five on the I'll trivia. Take that. take that. Now we've got the quick fire round, the movies round. So I'm going to name you five movies, one after the other, and you're going to have to quick fire back at me which one of them was in it, Reagan or Rogan. Okay. Okay. Number one, Take This Waltz. Reagan. No, Rogan. The Sound of the Fury. Reagan. Rogan. Desperate Journey. It's got to be Reagan now. Reagan. John Loves Mary. Rogan. Reagan. The Night Before. Reagan. Rogan. Ah, that was tough. That was tough. I put you on the spot. So, yeah, Take This Waltz, Seth Rogan. Very much doesn't sound like a Seth Rogen film. The Sound and the Fury, Seth Rogen. It was very hard. Almost every Seth Rogen film you've heard of, definitely. That's what I thought. (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) There's literally three you wouldn't have heard of, and I just picked them all. And luckily, they all sound like they could be from the 50s. Yeah, they definitely do. Take This Waltz, The Sound and the Fury. And then we had Desperate Journey, which was Reagan. John Loves Mary, which was Reagan. I put that in because I thought it sounded a bit like Zack and Mary make a point. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, And The Night Before was Rogan. I was going to throw in Zach and Mary making porn as well, just to kind of see, see how you dealt I with I mean, that. obviously, Reagan was in Pineapple Express. Yeah, that was Reagan. 40-year-old virgin, Reagan. 93-year-old virgin when he died, apparently. Superbad, Reagan. Yeah, Reagan, yeah. The one with the chimp, Rogan. <laughs> what was it? That was Bonzo or something. Gonzo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Reagan was in a film with the chimp. Reagan did a lot of westerns, didn't he? Pretty because he had big earlobes. He wanted to play with them. Dirty Reagan. <laughs> America. That's time for our archive film tonight and to kind of fit in with the adult theme of Sausage Party but also that kind of not quite animated but you know that it's not live action we've gone with Team America World Police so we thought this would fit in quite nicely with Sausage Party before we saw it and my god does it uh, so if you don't know about Team American World Police it's a film from 2004 which is Trey Parker and Matt Stone who came up with South Park it's their puppet-based action comedy. It looks a bit like Thunderbirds, but more extreme. Uh, in typical Parker and Stone style, it's a huge satire. Uh, the season actor called Gary Johnston, not a very actory name, joined a fictional anti-terrorist force called Team America World Police as they attempt to thwart a terrorist plot by the late North Korean leader Kim Jong-il, God rest his soul, who's in cahoots with the Film Actors Guild, or FAG for short, which includes the likes of Alec Baldwin, Sean Penn, Susan Sarandon, and notably Matt Damon. Uh, so, Johnny, this film, as I've mentioned, it's a satire, massive satire of world politics at the time, the war on terror, the whole George W. Bush-led, uh, US-led war on terror. Is this film as smart as it sets itself out to be, or is it actually just a bit dumb? I mean, it's not subtle. No. I mean, there's a song called America Fuck Yeah. You know, it takes the crap out of... You know, actors wading into political things. Yes. George Bush and America's sort of exceptionalism. You know, Michael Moore doesn't get, a, get away scot-free <laughs> either. Certainly does not. So it, it's not big and clever, but it drives home the point fantastically. Yeah, I think it's, well, it's just South Park, isn't it? That's what South Park does. If anyone's seen a, a, an episode of South Park in their lives, it's the hardcore, over-the-top metaphor rammed down your throat. Not a great deal of subtlety in there. And this film is pretty much... 
the absolute apex of that. That's the, <laughs> the, the, the opening scene where the world police take on the terrorists and just end up blowing up half of Paris. But they're so pleased with themselves because they've saved the terrorist attack. So they, as we mentioned, they use puppets. It's not a animation like Sausage Party is. It's puppets like in Thunderbirds. Uh, what's the value of using those puppets, do you think, over doing it live action or doing it animation? I mean, the great thing about the puppets is the fact, you know, when you watch old Thunderbirds and you see the puppets, it's a bit crap and you can sort of see the strings, but they don't want you to think that. Whereas Team America wants you to know it's it, puppets and yeah, it, it doesn't try hard to make it not look like puppets. It's very self-aware that it's puppets, yeah. isn't it? They, go, they really use that as part of the humour with the strings just blatantly. I mean, when, when, you know... When someone moves out of a room or leaves a room, they always leave it to linger yeah. because the walking is so stupid yeah. that they can't really sort of just flop their legs around to get out of it. Yeah, and like the beginning fight, which sets itself up like it's going to be Charlie's Angels, but yeah. actually just ends up like a couple of drunk public schoolboys slapping each other. Yeah. And, and just like mashing into each other and like having a fit on each other as basically I mean, the fight. It's, it's great that um, there's a bit where he's sort of on self reflection and he's driving around on his motorbike. But he's only, you know, like one foot tall. But he's going yeah. to like a graveyard and walking around it, but he's not as tall as any of the graves. Well, that's one of the many montages. We love a montage on the movie. We do. Man. It's, there's, a, there's a couple of great ones in there. And the montage song. The montage as well. song really sums up, you know, the Rocky sort of montage. Yeah. You know, someone needs to get good at something, throw a montage in, and then within a minute's time, they're an expert. <laughs> it's done like Despite Rocky, the fact yeah. no time has passed in the film. Well, we found it in Eddie the Eagle, we found it in Rocky, and. My God, are they they honouring it here as well. Uh, talking to the montage song, there's a lot of great songs in this film, but what is your favourite, do you think? I mean, as I mentioned, America, Fuck Yeah, yeah is just great. You know, freedom, song. fuck yeah. Mm. All of that, great. And obviously, everybody has AIDS from the musical that Gary Johnston's in at the start yeah. is pretty fantastic. Yeah, you've also got the song about Pearl Harbour as well, which is great. Yeah, Michael Bay. Michael <laughs> Miss you more than, more than Michael Bay missed the mark when he made Pearl Harbor. Yeah. We mentioned the food porn. This has got a great deal of puppet porn. Yes. In a very notable scene. Action man meets Barbie without any clothes on. Gary Johnson takes on Lisa, who looks quite a lot like Glenn Close, I thought. <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> bit, puppet. yeah. yeah. Um, so which one of these two films had the better inanimate object sex scene? The sort of Team America sex scene is a bit like is a couple of 14-year-olds pissing about with action men. 14-year-olds? You, you, you pissed around with action men when you were 14? Or? Who wasn't pissing around with action men when they were 14? <laughs> Sausage Party just goes full orgy. Yeah. You know, it's like set in orgy in Sainsbury's vegetable aisle. And, you know, in terms of offence caused, not just by that scene, but just generally the overall movie... I mean, that, that's one of the best bits of Team America is the fact that all the terrorists just say, ducka ducka jihadi jihadi mahami. <laughs> Yeah, they do like to offend Trey Parker and Stone. Right, this film out of ten, Johnny, what is it? Uh, I'm going to say nine. Nine? Yeah, I think it, better than Sausage Party. I, it, was, it was a great watch on the train, <laughs> on my phone, to which I got a lot of strange looks. The only way to watch a movie? Yeah, definitely. I'd say nine strong. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. But that then, I think that's fair. That means it evens out at eight and a half. It was the first half hour. I thought, you, you know what, this isn't as funny as I remember it being when I was fifteen, and it's a bit dumb. 
But then actually after that, you're like, actually, this is pretty. I mean, the bit like there's a bit when when they release Kim Jong Il's Panthers, and it's just it's just a couple of black cats, (laughs) just a couple of of regular, yeah, just come out and and they have to fight them off. And the the bloody gory deaths of all the actors is it's so stupid, but it's it's just fantastic. I think that's something you can say about both films. They're they're both quite dumb films that just really get it right. Yeah, they know their target and they just pound the shits out of it for an hour and a half. Okay, a limousine that can fly. Now I have seen everything. Really? Have you seen a man eat his own head? No. So then you haven't seen everything. And neither have we. So ladies and gentlemen, my highlight of the show, and I'm sure many of yours at home, it is three fast, three furious time, and I'm going to hand you over to the ever-capable Johnny Smith. I'm ready. You're ready? Okay, brilliant. Right, well, I'm going to put 30 (laughs) seconds on the clock. Shouldn't have handed over that quickly, should I? Bit of dead air there. I was <laughs> right. just pumping myself up. <laughs> just got psychic. Do you, do you need a montage to get ready? Actually, we should have had one quickly. <laughs> yeah. We can edit one in and eight. We'll one in. Don't worry about it. Right. Three trailers, 30 seconds. Three, two, one. Get stuck in. Split. James McAvoy takes on 23 split personalities in M. Night Shyamalan's new thriller. Shame will have an awful twist and be shit. <laughs> Hell or High Water, Ben Foster, not the goalkeeper, and Chris Pine are brothers robbing banks in Texas with yokel sheriff Jeff Bridges in pursuit. Looks like a cracker. Dog Eat Dog, Man of Many Faces, Nicolas Cage teams up with William Defoe as the two loose cannons play crooks in a film by Paul Schrader, the writer from Taxi Driver. Okay, well, you've got five seconds to fill, so, you know, you're too efficient. So. Looks dark, violent, gonna be good fun. Bam, there you go. 30 seconds, great job. Uh, so, I didn't really listen to any of that, I was just more looking at the time. That's Not, a serious thing. I'm going to rule out M. Night Shyamalan straight off the yeah, bat. Yeah, it looks... It could be good. James McAvoy trying to do 20 different characters. Yeah. It sounded like an interesting concept, but then when you said M. Night Shyamalan, there's going to be a stupid <laughs> twist at the end, I was kind of like... You just watch the trailer and you know there's a twist and you know it's going to be awful, so... Just make normal films. Just, you just know... Just make good normal films, the, M. Night. The premises are there. They just don't end well. Someone no. come in and write the ending of his all films, please. And we had Chris Pine and Ben Foster, who I... I'm ashamed to say I don't know who Ben Foster is. He's sort of been in a few low-key things. And Jeff Bridges, always good. So That That sounds right. What was that film called? That was called Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. Looks like a sort of, you know, modern-day Western. Mm -hmm. Uh, Looks like it'll be good, moody sort of gunslinging special. All right, worth worth keeping an eye on for future. Definitely. For future movie men. And number three, what was that? That was Dog Eat Dog with uh, Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe. (laughs) Trailer looks promising. Looks like a bit like Goodfellas. Uh, Tarantino and it's by directed by Paul Schrader who wrote Taxi Driver Raging Bull so uh, he must be like 90 he's quite old these <laughs> days so uh, but capable hands so you know might be Nicolas Cage's big comeback what's your pick I, I do like a Nicolas Cage film I think Hell or High Water is probably the safe bet but yeah. Dog Eat Dog is the you know is the outside chance I'm in to kill you in one minute Ned we'll see a hang in Fort Smith at Judge Parker's convenience which will you have? I call that bold talk. We're a one-eyed fat man. <laughs> Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! We're going to finish with the top five this week, but actually, we're going to give you a bonus top five, and we're not going to do it like we normally do because normally we do something that fits in with the theme of the show, but. 
This week, the BBC have released a list of the top films of the 2000s, as voted for by, I think it's 177 critics. Something like that. So, we're going to give you our individual top five films of the 2000s, compare them and see how they stack up to the 177 critics who watch a lot more films than us, know a lot more than us, but we can be arrogant enough to argue against them. Isn't that right, John? I mean, if they've got the tree of life in the top ten, then... <laughs> I don't think they know anything. Immediately behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just letting them in. Johnny, what have you got at number five? Uh, Life it, on the Road? It, no, sorry. Oh, number one, obviously. Yeah. Um, number five, I've gone for Black Swan. Okay. Which, if you mm. remember, was uh, Darren Afanofsky. Aronofsky. Ar- Ar- Aronofsky. Yeah. Not a vodka, but a director. Um, really good... You know, dark, Natalie Portman wants One to be of my favourite actresses. Uh, sort of ballet performer, doesn't mm-hmm. she? And she sort of sells her soul. Mila Kunis as well. Mila Kunis pops mm-hmm. up in there. And um, it's just a really epic, dramatic film. And, and it's the choreography's great. Mm-hmm. And it's moody. and uh, Psychological you, as well. Yeah, you know, surreal elements in there. And if you've ever seen uh, The Red Shoes from sort of 1945 or something by... Powell and Pressburger, that's... Of course. A big ballet, sort of, dramatic, you know, technical film. So it sort of riffs on that and yeah. does a fantastic job. And she won an Oscar for her performance. Number four, I've gone for City of God, mm-hmm. the Brazilian film, which is sort of like Pulp Fiction in Rio, basically. You know, lots of little stories of sort of gangsters and low lives and strange characters, and they all entwine in the end to make a sort of big narrative about the slums and sort of... Little, there's little Zed. Little Zed. And knock out, knock out Ned's my favourite character, the yeah. bus driver, who basically goes berserk and really lays the smack down on everyone. Uh, number three, I've gone for This Is England. <laughs> okay. From 2006. Uh, you know, just a... That, I, I know now that's going to be a controversial choice, but... A no. gritty, you know, realist sort of English drama. But, you know, like a kitchen sink drama, but for the 80s, really. And it's just uh, really well acted, well directed by Shane Meadows. Just a really... Involving tale of great characters. It's it's sort of the ultimate Shane Meadows film, isn't it? It's what yeah. Shane Meadows was put on this earth to it make. It definitely was. That's sort of more of a personal favourite I squeezed in there. Mm-hmm. Um, coming in at number two, it's sort of a toss up between the the front two. I'm gonna punt for Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. which uh, obviously Quentin Tarantino, two thousand and nine. Uh, just some really good stuff in there. Probably one of his best films. Probably his best since Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. I think most people would agree. Yeah. Uh, the opening scene with Christoph Waltz sort of hunting for the Jews in the basement is, yeah. you know, and he, he's... fantastic sort of suspense. Yeah. I mean, the, the bar scene alone, yeah. when they're playing the sort of card game, guessing each other, is just superb. So Tarantino, one of his better ones. Yeah. And then number one, I've gone for a sort of a, a slightly less known film. I've gone for Nightcrawler. Okay. Which was only 2014. That's strong, Nightcrawler at number With one. Jake Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. uh, who plays basically a bit of a psychopath who yeah. goes around chasing down crashes and getting footage of it and selling it to newspapers or news TV uh, programmes. But, you know, it's he's just a great... It's a really good performance from Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. It's all dark and manic. And, and Rene Russo as well as the producer, yeah. TV producer as well. She's good. It's sort of the, one of the last few films I've seen where I got halfway through and I was like, this is a great film. I'm enjoying this a lot. It is very good. It didn't even make my long list, though, interestingly. I saw one of those that, yeah, it sort of stuck with me, and I think, it, in a way, it reminded me of Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. sort of a 
strange character's slow descent into madness. There's such a wealth of films that have come out. I mean, I've got a list of of stuff like Her, Birdman, Whiplash, Bronson, The Artist, The Prestige. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of others on there, so... Tricky to to do, so I'll I'll be interested to see what you've come up with. Well, what's great about this, there's only one film that's on both of our lists, Ah. which is really interesting. I looked at the BBC list and I was like, do you know what? There are so many films in here that are so wanky and (laughs) this list is just wanky for wankiness' sake, to be honest. Yeah. You and I, we like a blockbuster as much as we like, you know, a a smaller independent film. But I kind of think that you've got to recognise that popularity has to have an an effect on on film. Like mass appeal has to be have some kind of impact. You can't just have the number one film as something no one's seen. Exactly. So the whole point of even making the Movie Man podcast was that we think we know a little bit about film, we think we can analyse a film, but we don't, we're not like as expert and we haven't seen every film of all time like some of these critics, but kind of think we can bridge the gap between that and your John Doe on the street. You're exactly, everywhere. that's what we're out to do. So number five, I went for the most recent Best Picture Oscar winner, Spotlight from 2015. Ooh. Uh, it was the best film I've seen in ages. Deserved Oscar winner, I thought. It was a very straight, no frills kind of film, but it was just incredibly engaging. There was the, there was no need for anything spectacular. It was just really well written, really well acted, depicted. Great story, obviously. Pedophile priest in Boston uh, and being uncovered by the Boston Globe. And Michael Keaton had obviously just come back in Birdman the previous year, and he, it's another stunning return to form for him, just carrying on that legacy that he started off with Birdman. But really, Mark Ruffalo. I was going to say Mark Ruffalo is the one who really takes the ball by balls and that. Uh, number four, not a personal favourite of mine, but I thought it just had to be in there for its cultural impact and how well it made it was and how smart it was. And I highly anticipated it was, and it's The Dark Knight. Uh, I'm a big fan of Batman. I thought it was a really good one. I like the early 90s, the Keaton Batmans, actually, talking about Michael Keaton. But this was a hugely worthwhile addition to the canon. Excellent film, really well done. Obviously, Heath Ledger's death made it so highly anticipated. A lot of the time, the film, when a film is, has high expectations on it, it you know it does is a bit of a letdown, but this very much was not. So I've gone for that number four. I think that's you know I think the great thing about Christopher Nolan is he tries to bridge the art house world mm. and the mainstream blockbuster world. And for the Dark Knight, he pretty much perfectly nailed it to be yeah. the mass appeal you know superhero film that we all sort of craved. Uh, number three, this is the only film that we had together on our list: Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, uh, you've said everything you need to say about Inglorious Bastards, but you know so ambitious, so outrageous, but so enjoyable at the same time. Uh, who you know? Who's ever blown up Hitler and shot his face to pieces? I mean, that's the thing is when you you know it's getting there, yeah. and then he does kill Hitler. And you think, Pah! yeah. Number two, I've gone with Gladiator. Ooh, two thousand. I think it's scraping in. I think it's the last truly great blockbuster there's been. The last massive big screen epic that you could say was truly great. I think was Gladiator for me. You might have a different opinion on it, John. I but... think you know it, it is. As, you know that's the thing. It is a blockbuster, really, mm. and it is certainly one of the better ones. You've got some really good actors in there. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, Russell Crowe, obviously. Richard Harris and Oliver Reed as well. And David Hemmings. There's uh, all good people in it. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic. And the number one, um, I think this is not only the best film of the 2000s, but it's my favourite film of the 2000s and probably my first or second favourite film of all time as Ooh. well. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay. It's a brilliant concept of, you know, wanting to wipe your memory after a lost love kind of thing and then actually realising that the whole concept of better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all is actually the, you know, the right way of going about things. 
is so well executed. There's such great subtlety to it. All the little uh, things that are alluded to throughout the film that flip around the whole time shifting nature of it. Is it Charlie Kaufman? Did he yes. like it? Yeah. yeah, Charlie Kaufman. He's uh, he does very good stuff. Yeah. He is a and I, th- top I, I think really. this is the best one he's done. I think this came at number three on the BBC list, actually. Great self-esteem intelligence, but really it has a really great warm heart and core at the centre of it that holds it all together. So that's my top five. Uh, you gave a few honourable mentions. I'll throw in a few that, uh, in addition to that. Um, Lord of the Rings Two Towers, probably my favourite Lord of the Rings film. Uh, no Country for Old Men, V for Vendetta, Minority Report, Dallas Buyers Club... Uh, the pianist you've already mentioned, uh, Shrek, Anchorman, and uh, Downfall as well, foreign language film. Yeah. yeah, it's a great film as well. So, the I when we when we got stuck into this, I was like, and I looked at that BBC list, Johnny. Break down just a few of the things in there that I you think, don't like about that. I mean, number one was Mulholland Drive, which, you know, David Lynch has some good stuff, and he's and he's got his own style. Mulholland Drive is the ultimate film critic's film, I think, mm, in yeah. terms of there's sort of so much going on and so ambiguous. So, that or number two on the list, there will be blood. It's hard work, though. I mean, both films are hard work. Yeah. And, and just pure critics' films made to win awards, I thought. I think that the oh. last 16 years have not been the strongest, to be honest. Um, and I think that Inside Lewin Davis being in there, in the top... Was it top ten? You said, top I think it was top ten, yeah. Um, kind of symbolises that, because really, that wouldn't get in the top five Coen Brothers films. And it's in the top ten films of the last 16 years. I mean, you know, me, myself and Irene, why wasn't that in there? <laughs> I think that was probably the 90s, actually. Yeah, that was definitely... Well, that yeah. obviously would have been number one if it's. That would have been number fun. one. Godzilla? The most recent Godzilla. Oh, absolutely appalling. That was dreadful. I remember The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy being Didn't a particularly shit film. Oh, uh, no, actually, for me, all as I've just said, the Lord of the Rings films are brilliant. All of the Hobbit films get progressively worse to the point where The Five Armies is a pile of irredeemable dog shit, <laughs> which is just one big, pointless, confusing battle scene. So those are our top fives. Pretty happy with them? I think so. I mean, there's probably something fantastic I've forgotten. But there's probably something glaringly obvious that everyone's just screaming at their phone. It's not name. the tree of life. <laughs> what if you stay this time? I walked out the door. There's no memory left. Come back and make up a goodbye at least. Let's pretend we had one. Bye, Joel. Well, that's everything from us for another fortnight, but do keep an eye out on SoundCloud and iTunes for our next show, which will be out in two Mondays' time. Could be The Infiltrator, could be something else. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Not I, even though I'm pretty shit at this point, but nonetheless. Uh, Make sure you get yourself following us on Twitter as well. We do love a bit of that. And uh, email in if you've got anything to say, but you probably don't. Probably, unless you want to tell us how wrong we were with our top fives this, which I'm sure we were. That's themoviemenatlive.com. Uh, until then, get yourself over to thelatestpictureshow.com for some great written reviews and other superb stuff. What have we got coming up on there, Johnny? Oh, I don't know, actually. Uh, I'm not sure. I was mulling over maybe putting my top ten films of all time on there. Oh, yeah. But that's going to take a lot of compiling. I and mean, this top five list <laughs> took a while. So thanks for listening, and if there's only one lesson to take home from today's pod, it's this. The movie man, fuck yeah!